So this morning, I want to deal with some of the excess baggage that many of us carry in our life. As you can see up here, I've got these pieces of luggage, baggage that are going to represent people's burdens and what people carry with them, you know, every day of their life. Some of you don't know it, I mean, because, you know, they're visible today on purpose. But most of the baggage that people carry, it's not visible. We don't tell other people about what we're going through. Maybe we feel like we can't trust them. Maybe we feel like we don't have the time to tell them. Maybe we feel like it's going to do no good if we do. Um, and we carry all this baggage in life that weighs us down and causes us to be limited in the life that God intended for us. That's what these baggages, uh, these baggages represent uh, in our lives. Now, I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to start there. I'm going to move through this kind of rapidly, but I want you to get it today. And we're talking about the life of Saul. Everybody say Saul. And Saul was somebody that God chose to be king uh, over Israel. And when you look over his life, you'll find that this man had some issues that he had to overcome. And because he didn't overcome some, you might see some of the same pitfalls in your own life. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20, And when Samuel had caused, as Sam was the prophet, now he's the one that would anoint the king. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. Here we go. So Saul's been chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. They asked the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, ah, hidden among the equipment or hidden among the baggage. Saul is called by God. He's been anointed. God wanted to be king over Israel, but the people couldn't see that. So God allowed them to have a, a real, you know, life, you know, flesh and blood king. And so he says, I chose this man, but the problem is most people couldn't see the hand of God upon him because he was hidden among the equipment or hidden in the baggage, the excess baggage of his life. But here's the good news. The good news is there's something highly favored in the midst of the baggage. So though people may not see you for who you really are because of all the baggage you've been carrying as of late and in your life, God still has chosen you and still sees, come on, who you really are in the midst and favored you in the midst of the baggage. So, so, so what's cluttering up your life? What's been going on in your world that you've been having a hard time with because you can't, you cannot run effectively with all this weight, 50 to 75 pounds per baggage on your back trying to get somewhere. Because Hebrews 12, 1 says this. It says, um, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, let us cut the weight. Come on, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run. Everybody say run. Turn to your neighbor and say it's time to run. Yeah, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, you can have endurance, but after a while, if you're carrying more than just your own body weight, you can only get so far and get there so fast. So it would be really crazy to have a, to make a decision, I'm going to run a race, but before I do, let me tie five or six baggage, pieces of baggage on me that weigh about 60 pounds each, and let me see how far I can go. You would be ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. You would be training for it. Maybe you'd have it 
on your back to train with, but after you get, you get, you get ready for the race, you're going to let all the weight go. Get the lightest sneakers you can find. Come on. Get the tightest little clothes you can get, right? So you can run the race as fast as you can with what? Endurance. In order to run with endurance or run the race and to win effectively the race, you've got to cut the weight in your life. Running with weights, excess baggage can prove to be very costly. It can cost you what? Your destiny because your destiny is to be at the finish line. Your destiny is to cross the goal. It can cost you the entire race, as a matter of fact. You know, even when you go to the airport, this can be true, right? You go to the airport and you got your baggage. And nowadays, it's been for this way for a while. Nowadays, if you got more than such and such weight, they'll charge you for the excess baggage and the excess weight. So it costs you more. So what do people do? They learn to get some, some light bags. Come on. They learn to pack a little bit lighter. Find somebody to wash a machine when they get there. Hallelujah. So why? So they can have their back. So it won't cost them so much in the end to get to their destination. Well, the children of Israel, where were God's people were called out of cruel bondage, God's hand was upon them. They were in Egypt, but the problem was they had a whole lot of baggage. And when you got a lot of baggage, it's hard to get somewhere fast. It took them 40 years. I ain't got 40 years to live. How about you? 40 years to get to where God's called you to be. And they couldn't get there by way of what? They had so much. You know, you can take the people out of Egypt, but it's hard to get the Egypt out of the person. You can take a person out of slavery, but hard to take the slavery out of the person. You got to learn. Come on, get a new mentality. So what did God say, say he had to do? He had to unpack. He had to get them to unpack, come on, the weight that they had in their life to get there where they're called to be. So God determined for Saul to be the king. He made up his mind, yes, I'll anoint him. I'll favor him. But Saul has the potential, but he doesn't have the credentials. I'm going to say that just one more time. Saul had the potential, but he didn't have the credentials. So God had to prove him, had to see if he was able to pass the test to become the king that he had the potential to become. He had to get rid of the baggage in his life and earn some kingdom cred. Y'all didn't hear that. What about, we say, well, I got street cred. What about kingdom cred? God's saying, I want to prove you to the world that you're mine, I'm yours, you listen to me and no one else. But, but the problem with Saul was he dealt with very low self-esteem. And I'll show that I'll, I'll show that the bear in just a moment. He was always more concerned about what other people thought than what God thought. And that was his number one mistake. Because he did not understand who he was. He gave in to the whims and the whams of the people because he figured, look, they wanted me. They really, I want to be the best king that I can. Not for God, but for the people. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a, that's a problem within the body of Christ. And we see Saul, when he wins his first victory, and the people say, we should sacrifice. Well, that sounds good. But Samuel, the prophet, said, don't do it. Wait for me till I get there. Once you get the victory, because God promised you the victory, then we'll sacrifice because I'll send the priest, and the priest will do the job. But not until I get there. But the people said, nah, Saul, you know, look, we got to do this. We got to honor God. And so let's build an altar, and let's start killing some sheep and making an offering unto God. And Saul said it was good in the people's eyes, and therefore he did what the people wanted. Instead of stand up like a man of God and like a king for God and for God alone and say, sorry, but we got to wait till the priests get here. Why? Because I'm a king and it's not my function. 
If you're going to go far with him and get rid of some of the baggage in your life, come on, somebody. you got to learn to stay in your lane. Keep out of somebody else's lane. Just do what God asked you to do. Come on. Am I right about this church? And so he went ahead and did it anyways. And, 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 the, and the sheep were crying and the blood was going and, and it was being sacrificed. And, and here comes Samuel and he shows up. He says, what is this I hear? What do you mean what do you hear? The crying of the sheep. Why? I hear sacrifice. He said, well, the people and you weren't here. And so what did I tell you? What did I tell you? Well, I know, but the people. He said, that's your problem, Saul. You give so far into the people and not to God. Therefore, because of what you've done, the kingdom that God gave you shall be stripped from you. God forbid that would ever happen to us. So the first thing that he had to deal with, the baggage he had to deal with in his life was a little something called insignificance. That's where his low self-esteem came from. I know you all can see it over there. Insignificance. And he didn't feel like he was somebody. You know, one of the weapons of the enemy is to get you to feel like you're nobody. You're nothing. You're just another number. You don't really count. You're not as important as the next person. And God has chosen you. Find your fingerprints on some other human being. Try. Find your, find your DNA on somebody else. Just try. You can't. You're one of a kind. Never going to be anyone like you. You have significance with Almighty God. And God specializes. This is what I love about him. He specializes in using broken people. That, that means no matter how weak, no matter how unworthy, no matter how insignificant you may feel, God's hand's still upon you. He's made up your mind. Yeah, you got some baggage. You're a little bit hidden right now. You're hidden amongst the baggage. But God still says, that's the person I can use. That's the person I want. God still wants you. And God still accepts you. I don't know if you believe this or not, but he loved you while you were in your sin. That's what the Bible tells us. Now, if he can love you while you're in your sin, how much more a child of God who does sin but knows how to get before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, and he washes away your sin and your tears and says, get on up and gives you another tribe. I'm here to tell two people here today that even though the devil whispered in your ear and said, you ain't never going to be a Christian, look at your life. It keeps on, you keep on sinning. You get up, tell the devil, go to hell, devil. I know my God who sent his son Jesus to die and buy his blood. My sin is forgiven. That's how you wreck the devil's day. He said, I know you. He said, well, you're a sinner. Tell me something I don't know. Amen. Stop putting yourself down. Stop feeling so insignificant. I'm, I'm ugly. I, I'm, 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 I'm not smart enough. Well, you know, I, I don't have the right color of skin. I, don't, I wasn't born on the right side of the tracks. I haven't gotten all the right breaks in my life. Quit talking like that. He takes insignificant people. Look what Saul said in 1 Samuel 9, 21, when he was being told by Samuel, he was chosen by God. He said, but, 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 am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? 
In other words, God, you might want to rethink this. And it's not my clan, the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. See how he sees himself? Low, low, low. God specializes in using the least. God specializes in using the last. And God specializes in using the leftovers. He may be the least in his clan, but God is gonna, wants to make him the greatest in his clan. David was also chosen by God through the prophet Samuel to be anointed king. He didn't know Samuel was just told by God, go to Jesse's house, and there you'll find my king. He goes to Jesse's house, and he said, there's a king here. Give me all your boys, and he lines up all the boys one by one, and he goes through every single one of them. He says, not one of these are the one that God calls the king. Do you not have another son? Yes, but David, you know, David, he's not the sharpest guy. And he's out there keeping a few sheep for me. I can send for him. Jesse had no idea what was about to happen. He saw no significance in David. He said, bring him to me. And when David walked in the house, the Spirit of God fell upon Samuel and said, that's the king. And he anointed him of Israel. So Saul was the least, but David was the last. And the least becomes the greatest, and the last becomes first. Come on, church. How about Gideon? And God said, you're going to fight the battle. He said, who, me? I don't, I'm just a little guy over here fighting. I'm midnight. I'm just trying to fight off the peep patch. I'm just trying to protect my own stuff. He said, you're a mighty man of valor. Quit saying that about yourself. Now get me some soldiers together. And he was able to get 30,000 men. He said, hey, God, what's up? Got 30,000 men. He said, too many. Huh? Too many. And he started going through a process. And God whittles it down to 300 men. He said, now you're ready for battle. The 300 weren't the 30,000. They may look like the leftovers, but they were going to be, come on, the overcomers. The more than enough. Come on. Amen. All right, number two. Oh, boy, it's getting heavy, isn't it? But it's going to get lighter. Here we go. There's a second one. Insecurity. Saul dealt with insecurity, worried about the opinions of other people. Always concerned I say this a lot. I'm going to say it again today. In the name of Jesus, you need to get free from people's opinions. Because people's opinions will lock you down, chain you up, make you feel this big. Why would you let somebody other than God speak into your life? And tell you you're not good enough, you're not strong enough. Others have tried before you, blah, blah, blah. And they put you down and make you feel small. I'm here to tell you, folks, don't go by their opinions because their opinion is just that. It means not in the face of God. And that stuff, it, it may, why would you let some joker come in your world and now everything you do is being judged in your head by that person? Why did you let him in your head? Get free of their opinions. Only God's opinion matters. Saul was worried about what others thought about him because he was insecure. 
He was worried about what they would say behind his back because he was insecure. He was worried about being criticized. And criticized is not fun, especially from people you trust. But everybody does it. They shouldn't, but they do. Saul's relationship with David became toxic because of his tormenting insecurity. He, he seemed to love David when you studied out. And David certainly loved Saul. And he was a friend of the family because Jonathan was Saul's son. And, and Jonathan and David were very close. And, and so he invited him into his world, Saul did. He said, come into my world, David. And why did he do it? Because he went and he was able to take down Goliath. That was a battle that Saul was supposed to win. But because he wouldn't, God sent David. And David, a young man, takes, Saul, takes the giant down. The problem with that, and I mean, Saul was happy about it. The problem with that was that when they went back into town, everybody started singing a song. And the song went like this. Saul has killed his thousands. But David has killed his tens of thousands. Well, that didn't sit well with Saul. I'm the king. I'm the one in charge. I don't share that glory with nobody. He was so insecure. He didn't recognize that David was actually making him look good. When people get around you and they're smarter than you are, do not become insecure. Let them figure it out for you. Come on, somebody. And you just go, and when the Lord gave me the answer, hallelujah, you can share the glory. Hallelujah. Because you can do something they can't do either. God puts you together. Never be intimidated by somebody being more talented than you because really they're there to help you make you look like you're shining. Oh, wow. But insecurity wants to throw a javelin like Saul tried to kill David with a javelin. Insecurity will have you banished from the, you, the people you don't get. You're not, I'm not comfortable. You banish them out of your life. That's what Saul did and banished him out of the kingdom. Winston Churchill said, the only way to avoid criticism is to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. Think about that one. If you're ever going to step up to the plate and actually fulfill your calling, actually do what God's asked you to do, there's going to be somebody that's going to criticize your life. Somebody's going to try to poke holes into your life and see what about this and what about that. And they said this and that didn't happen. Come on. God has called you to do something great. Don't let people who criticize be the last word in the matter and feed your insecurity and make the baggage heavier than it needs to be. And by the way, criticize, criticize is the smallest size. Small minds criticize people day in and day out. Amen. All right, here we go. The next baggage he would have to deal with that was pretty heavy was depression. And I see this on God's people over and over and over again. We know from Scripture that Saul fell into deep depression and had to be, have music. He actually had David come to live with him to play the harp to cause that deep depression, that, that, that antagonistic spirit to loose him and to soothe his mind and his soul. But there was another man. Uh, where this is seen as well and seen so plain. His name was Elijah, and we find it in 1 Kings chapter 19. This was right after, this was right after he received word from Jezebel that Jezebel was going to take his life. Now, here's the prophet that just killed two, uh, 250 prophets of Baal, 
and he had an incredible encounter with God until fire fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice. It was an immense miracle, immense victory. And Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you like you kill my prophets. And when he heard this, the Bible says, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that cave. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him in the cave and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So there are a few things here. Number one, Elijah had a suicidal, or a very, at the very least, a fatalistic thought pattern. In other words, in verse 4, and he reiterates it in another verse, he says to God, let me die. At the very least, if you don't see suicide there, because some people get so suicide, and let me tell you, well, not Elijah. Uh, haven't we not even seen as of late pastors that have committed suicide? Oh, it's a very real sickness. And when the enemy gets behind it, it's overwhelming, and people think that's the best way out. To which I always say, never ever uh, cause yourself to have a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It'll change. The sun will come up tomorrow. Something new is on the horizon. Amen. At the very least, he was saying, let me alone. Get me out of this. I'm done with this. I don't want to be bothered anymore. I just want to slip away. I just want to put the covers over my head. I just want to be left alone. I just want to eat my bowl of Captain Crunch and watch Netflix all day long. Come on. That's a form of depression. I don't want to deal with it. I want it out of my world. Number two, Elijah dealt with excessive tiredness. When you see people and all they want to do is sleep, 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 it may not be physical. It actually may be that they're emotionally down or depressed. Verse five, he lay and slept under a broom tree. Not once. He gets up, an angel feeds him, and he goes right back to sleep again. He's depressed. Third, he suffered strong feelings of rejection and abandonment because in verse 10, he said, I alone, I alone am left. I, you, Lord, I've done everything I can. And he feels like he's been abandoned by God. Where were you to help me? Depression has been overwhelming in his life. The first thing that God does to remedy the, his depression is he recognizes that Elijah, Elijah is depressed and it's not imaginary. God begins to deal with the source of the problem. God sent, here's how he does The first thing he does, God sent Elijah to church. You say, where is that? Oh, it's right there. It's right there. He sends him to the mountain of God. He sends, that's the modern day church. Listen to me. When you're depressed, the last thing you need to do is be alone. 
but it's the first thing you feel. It's the only thing. I just want to be left alone. But God says, I can't leave you alone. There's too much involved in your life. I've got so much more for you. You can't stay in that place any longer. So he sends them to church. I thank God that we've got faith because we can come together and you know you're going to be supported and lifted up and encouraged. Why? Because the word of the Lord is going to come to you. I said the word of God is going to come to you. It's a priority. Duke University did a study with 4,000 people and they concluded, quote, Attendance at a house of worship is related to lower rates of depression and anxiety. Wow. It's a cure. We don't, we got all the social connection that we've never had before in social media. And people are more depressed and anxious than ever before. You know why? It was never set up for us to be behind a keyboard or a telephone. We need human interaction, eyeball to eyeball, grabbing someone's hand, feeling their heartbeat. We need one another. We're called the body of Christ. All of us coming together. Is it always easy to come together? No, because we don't always agree with each other. Sometimes we don't even like each other half the time. Come on. But we love each other because we are the family of God and we need each other. I want you to notice that God had Elijah tell him what his problem was in verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, you're not supposed to be here. You're not, this is your, this is not what I called you to do. God deals with the false beliefs and ideas that Elijah had that was fueling his depression. He had fear. Everybody say fear. And I like the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. I said false evidence appearing real. The devil will magnify that thing. Your mind will magnify that thing. And it's not even the outcome. But by the time you get it in your head, it becomes the outcome because that's your belief system. God refuses to listen to any more of his whining and tells Elijah, you get your butt up. He didn't say that. I said that. You get up. You get up. You get back to work, make yourself useful, do what you're called to do, wipe your eyes, let's move forward. Because when you move forward, it builds strength and depression begins to lift. You know, back in the old days, when you only had one person to rely on for work and something tragic would happen in somebody's house, they had no time for depression. Were they depressed? Of course they were. But they went right back into work. And somehow, some way, them old-timers made their way through the process. How? They didn't allow their mind to go over the details, over and over the details, until they were overwhelmed with emotion. All right. Now, <clears throat> let's go to the next bag. I don't have enough time here. Here we go. This is heavy. Unhappiness. Unhappiness. Unhappiness will give you the case of the if-onlys. Because if only I had that right man or husband, or that right woman, or wife. If only I had the right job. If only I had those looks. If only I had that money. If only I had this or that. I would be happy. But the problem with happiness is it's fleeting. Nothing wrong with being happy. There's a part of your emotions. But just remember, it comes from the word happenstance, which means you're only happy based on the happenstance. So when somebody pays you a compliment, you're happy. Somebody doesn't recognize your new outfit, unhappy. 
And I'm just giving you something small just to get your mind clicking off to let you know that that's what we do. We wait for the right happenstance to be happy or not. Let me tell you what the root of unhappiness is. The root of it is it's the worship of the wrong thing. Which is what? Idolatry. Worship is what? My longing and my desire. And when I don't get my longing and my desire fulfilled, I'm not happy. But God said, one of his ten commandments is, I'll have no other gods before me. Worship should never be over me. And if you have me, I'll give you joy that's sustainable. Idolatry is the worship or desire of the thing that you think the thing you want more than God. So I'm everybody's working for the weekends. Don't mess with my weekends. Now you're saying my weekends are more important than God. The movie you want to go see, the car you want to go drive, the vacation you want to take, and they're all fine and good. But when it's above God, He says, No, you'll never be happy like that. Once again, we go back to Saul. And the children of Israel said, said, if only we had, if only, if only. They're thinking about it. We can't be happy until we get a king. If only we had a king like the rest of the, world, the, rest of the nations have, then we'd be happy. And so God gave it to them, and they still weren't happy. Happiness can be found, but maybe not where you think. Psalms 144, 15, happy are the people who are in a state, such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Romans 14, 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. Psalms 146, 5, happy is he who, ha who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. God, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the happiness, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Just turn your neighbor and say, time to joy up. Just joy up. Come on, get the joy of the Lord. Lastly, this is the big one, y'all. This is the big one, the heaviest. Failure. Failure. Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, come on, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, <coughs> forward to those things which are heaven, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, if I went over all my failures in my life, I could never be the apostle God called me to be. I'd quit today. I'd just go back and beg God and beg God and beg God for mercy because I'm that bad of a dude. I put people in prison. I'd had them stoned to death. I had been the most prideful person you ever saw in your life. I was nothing more than a religious zealot. I didn't have any desire for God, only for what I knew in his, in, in his the Torah, but not him himself. I'm the worst of the worst. He was saying it from experience. Don't make fail yours. Don't go over thing, everything you went wrong and say, that's just who I am. That's not true. It's a transition place. It's a place where you get experience. It's a place where you learn and grow from and get better. And when the devil whispered to you and say, you're a failure, you say, I don't receive that. But what I will say is, thank God I went through it. Now I know what not to do. Come on, church. The first way to get over a failure in your life is determined to move forward. Don't look back. Once you put your hands in the plow, go forward. Don't look back. Because it's too much to bear. If he forgave you, 
that he'll never bring it up again. Amen, church. Even Jesus on the cross would have looked like a failure to the rest of the world. How do you mean? Hey, they didn't have the benefit of the gospel. They didn't understand all that Jesus was doing back in those days. They thought that Jesus was, in fact, a king sent from God to set up his kingdom on earth, physical, literal, material kingdom on earth. So when he was on the cross, it would have looked like a failure. But how many knows? What looks like a failure to the untrained eye is nothing more than victory in God's eyes. And three days later, Jesus got up. And by the way, I can't wait for this Easter. We're going to win people to Jesus. Ooh, wait till you see this crucifixion scene. My God. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4, and I'm done. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. And we also believe and therefore speak. So I will say to you, learn to speak your future and not your failures. What's God saying about your tomorrow? Amen, church. So now we've removed the excess in order to get the access. I said we've removed the excess so that we can get access into our destinies. God is lining it up even in 2019 for the fulfillment of purpose in our lives that we may run this race that God has set before us, attain our goals, get God's best, have his destiny, attain his calling, walk in his purpose every day of our life. But if we've got baggage, church, yes, you're going to heaven. And yes, God loves you. And nothing changes with that. I'm just here to tell you, it's so much harder to run the race with all this on your back. 